to me, that's the key right there is really talk to your students, get to know them. And then you can sometimes see the signs. Like I said, it could just been a simple bad day, but I picked up on it right away. And I had the conversation. And sometimes that's all a kid needs is, is somebody going to ask me what's wrong? Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. In mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others, essential for healing. I put together a package for those that want to increase their wellness in their life and implement these techniques custom made for their lives. If you want to work one-on-one with me on these topics in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's called Gift of light. It was on sale in the month of December. We're extending it for a little bit of January. So grab it now before it increases in price. It's a custom made program for you. One-on-one with me. Eight sessions. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. Welcome to 2021, a new fresh beginning. Hopefully we'll bring only so much joy and change and health and clarity to the world. We are ready to kick off 2021 on Hope to Recharge podcast with something that I've been looking forward to the entire 2020, ever since I received an email from a teen that is listening to my podcast and he begged me to create more content for adolescents and teens. So here we are, we're going to devote most of January and some of February to discussing mental health, mental illness by youth, teens, adolescents. We're going to speak to teachers, therapists, teens themselves, some of me also, my insight. Today, we are going to have a conversation with a returning guest, Miss Oz. If you have not heard her first episode on our podcast, go to episode 38. The name of the episode is Educating Young People About Mental Illness. So that is episode that we recorded last year in the beginning of 2020. 
asked her to come back because it was a popular episode. She got awards for being the most engaging, phenomenal teacher. She talks about her own journey with mental illness. She knows how to see students that are struggling with mental illness and how to start conversations in school and classes, how to connect with the youth, how to make it a conversation that is okay to have, and how to encourage them to get help, how to encourage their parents to be the right support. So we dig deep into what is needed in youth, what are we missing, what are we lacking, and what we need to create as teachers, as educators, and mentors, as leaders in order to improve the next generation's stability with mental health. How do we support them? It's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you, Miss Oz, again for gifting us your time. Now, right into the episode. I think it's the relationship you build with those students. For me, I get to know my students rather well, not just through their work, but actually having conversations with them. And that's how I can notice things. You know, for example, one student one day was just acting totally different. Normally, the student is so bubbly and outgoing. And I noticed a change. And I remember speaking to that student outside and the student shared some information that they just were kind of feeling a little depressed. And, you know, so we had that dialogue, but luckily that student was very open with the parents. So that was awesome. But I think that's what it boils down to is really getting to know your students. And I know the problem with teaching now is we're so focused because we're taught this as far as coming from our, whether it be our administrators, which are getting it from the state, every state's different, but you know, SOLs, the standards of learning, the SOL testing, you know, I do believe that's how they get their funding and things like that. So I feel bad for us teachers because it takes away from us getting to know our students. But to me, that's the key right there is really talk to your students, get to know them. And then you can sometimes see the signs. Like I said, it could just been a simple bad day, but I picked up on it right away. And I had the conversation. And sometimes that's all a kid needs is, is somebody going to ask me what's wrong? And as far as behavior goes, it really depends. I mean, you might have a student that's just acting like that because they want to act like that. But there's no harm in asking, you know, having that discussion. Is there something going on? And, you know, if you don't feel comfortable doing it by yourself, then have another teacher or that's when you get your guidance involved or administration and have that open conversation. Because I'm telling you, I feel with kids, I notice it's sometimes just asking them what's wrong. And next thing you know, they will blurt everything out that's wrong. I can't tell you how much as a parent, I agree with that because I have children that could be super students in school. Then I have children that could be the one that they're like, oh my God, they're calling me again. Oh my God, they're calling. What now? What now? And it's really hard. Even as a parent, it's hard to have the patience. But when I do have the patience as a parent, the results are unbelievable. And so many times I tell the teacher, just be patient and ask them what is going on? Are you having a hard day? And I want to share something with you. One of my children were having a really like a pattern of a hard time and we were trying this and we're trying that and everything wasn't working out. And then I said, you know what? We have to have a conference. We have to have a conference call, the teacher, me, the child. And it boiled down that his clothes were uncomfortable and he kept on feeling itchy and restrictive because he has sensory. And 
all it took was, first of all, empathy to understand that it's really hard to be, he couldn't focus. And then we escalated to get a special permission to wear different clothes than what the school rule is doing within as much as similarity as possible. And he changed. And I want to tell you what he did. Did I show you the card that he wrote his teacher at the end of the year? No. He wrote him a card and he said, and thank you for understanding that my clothes were uncomfortable and for fighting for me that I can wear something else. And I'm telling you, my child is going to remember this teacher for the rest of his life that he fought for him, that he saw his pain. He felt his pain. And that's what it boils down to is, you know, even though I'm a teacher, I'm also human. And like you said it, you nailed it. I manage and I cope with my mental condition. So I kind of do have that radar. But again, it's just about communicating with your children or, you know, with your students. And, you know, that would be one best advice I could give the parents is to have conversations with your kids. And it's easier for me to say, I don't have children. I'm well aware of that, but I've been very open with my nieces and my nephews. Now that they've gotten older, I've been more vocal about my struggles because I want them to feel comfortable to come to me or their parents if they are having any type of problem. And, you know, we talk about mental illness and, you know, now I call them mental conditions, but you're right. It could be simple things as, and not simple, I take that back, but like anxiety, you know, anxiety about grades, anxiety about, you know, I teach middle school and that's all about peer pressure in the sense that every child there wants to be liked. You know, they don't want people not to like them. You know, they want to be with that group and, things like that. And that can give somebody anxiety, but. And depression, like they can feel so unwanted, unloved. It's awful. And I've had an anxiety attack before and it is, it's horrible. You just, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? But that would be my number one thing with parents is have conversations with your kids. I know it can't be easy, but they may be wanting to have, because I know for years, like I told you, I was scared to open my mouth to my parents. And I told you all this started when I was in high school. So I wasn't like an adult yet. I mean, this all started when I was in high school and I was scared to say anything to my parents about it. Now it's like the floodgates open up all the time. Now I can't keep my mouth shut if, you know, whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, but that would be, like I said, the one advice I could give parents is please talk to your kids. If you notice anything, open that dialogue. Are, is your child going to blurt it out? Maybe not that day, but I would continue to ask them again. Don't badger them like 10 times in one day, but maybe give it a day. Then be like, I noticed, you know, you were a little off yesterday. You sure there's nothing you want to talk about? Because I've noticed kids will sometimes, like some of my students, if I'll say something and next thing you know, it's like they're giving me a novel. Because again, I think it's the relief of someone noticing and now they can get it off their chest and they feel comfortable. And you also make them feel very safe that they're not broken or like they're not, that, that something's not wrong with them. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel anxious. You're safe. It's not like I'm going to label you as a crazy person. You're safe to share and we're going to do something to figure it out. And I think that's so important to give them that assurance that share with me. 
I want to help you. I'm going to try to help you. We'll try to bring in whoever we can in the professional world. But even sometimes just talking about it with somebody that gets you is 80% of what they really need. Right. And I'm a true believer now, now especially, teachers should be having a mental health unit. I don't care what grade level. I think it even needs to start in elementary because you're seeing, statistics have shown, you're seeing more and more elementary young age kids showing signs of anxiety, depression. And we need to work on the skills of them at that age So when they do get older, they're going to be able to handle things better. But I really do believe a mental health unit is necessary. And that's what I, in Virginia, was so great to finally incorporate that in our health unit. So it's mandatory that we teach it. And I couldn't have been happier. And like I said, that's when I was just very vocal with my classes. How many hours a week do you give it? Is one class a week? No, no, we do a whole unit is about six classes. So, because we have to teach the other units too. But I think just even having, I know if teachers are afraid, because I know sometimes they get afraid of teaching about mental health, because are they going to say the wrong thing? Are they going to, you know, get themselves in trouble for about talking about it? You know, it's just opening that conversation with them. And it doesn't have to, Like I, like I said, I shared my mental condition with my students and I felt very comfortable doing that. I'm sure some teachers may not feel comfortable, but like I said, even just talking about depression, talking about anxiety, giving these kids valuable information, number one, knowing that these conditions exist, but number two, what really made me so happy and the first time I did the lesson was The kids researched a mental condition. I gave them a list and they were able to choose. But just hearing the conversations among themselves, that's what I was so ecstatic. I mean, I remember one student saying, well, I deal with anxiety and this is what I do. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And this is middle school. You know, and this year, the lesson was even, We I took it to the next level, and I shared with you, my students did a Virginia license plate, and so they took mental condition, and then they made it into a positive, because I'm a believer fighting the stigma, and so they, for example, if it was depression, they made a license plate, a legit Virginia license plate, that would represent depression in a positive way, but also bring awareness. And we made it on this, thank goodness for my computer person. She just is the bomb. And we actually made, unfortunately with COVID, we couldn't finish them. But they actually, I don't even know what they're kind of like. It looks like a Lego thing. And then I was going to display them in the hallways. But that's here and there, here or there. But my point is, that brought them to talk about it more. And I remember one student in particular this year said, their group picked anxiety, like phobia of social phobia. And I remember the student said, I never even knew that existed. I said that people do have a fear of being in groups. And this student said, I never knew because the student's very outgoing. So it was amazing to see the results out of these lessons. And I'm going to add to that, that so many times when I speak to people, they say, like, there's something off and I don't know how to say what it is. I just feel off. 
I feel in a cloud. They don't know the terminology. And the second they can understand that it's not a strange to feel like that. They can't even give it a name. And once you give it a name, not a label, but a name, identify with like, okay, fine, this is what I'm going through. And then they could do research about it and they can understand it better versus saying like, what is going on? What is that feeling? What is that bubbling in my stomach? What is that? And right. just and by the, having conversations like you do. Right. And the bring- purpose, another meaning behind it was to educate them, but also, you know, one thing about kids that I notice, and especially at my school, even middle school, is they do have quite empathy for people. They really do when it really boils down to it. And that was another purpose. Like, for example, with that student, they recognize this and now they can have empathy for other people that might have to, you know, deal with that mental condition and cope with it. And also in one of the research was they had to look up treatment plans and, you know, how and ways you can help this person. So now they've also have, like I would call it a toolbox. Like if a student says, I'm just have anxiety today, their friend or something, they could maybe go back to their brain in that toolbox and be like, oh yeah, this is what I could do to try to help my friend. And really show empathy. And I'm a big person of telling parents to educate themselves as well. But the thing is, like, I feel like some teachers, and I'm not coming down on teachers because I feel like they have a lot on their plate, but it's a whole new subject to learn. But I'm going to go back a little bit. Why is it that when they become teachers, this is not taught and like such a fundamental part of education of noticing mental illness or something off? Because think about how many hours kids are spending with teachers. They're really holding space for these kids and their souls and their being and their lives. Shouldn't there be more education for teachers? Oh, I definitely, yes. But why there isn't, I don't know. I know when I went for my degree for teaching, mental conditions, illnesses were not part of the curriculum at all. And I think it's because they've seen an uprise. That's when they finally, I would say the light bulb went off and said, we need to start helping these kids. And like I said, I mean, and the thing is, is in school, there's so many, the guidance counselors, they're fabulous. You know, kids can utilize them. But the bottom line is, I'm a firm believer a child is not going to speak to you unless, like you said, they find trust in that adult and love, compassion, because you can have trust. But if the person comes off kind of like they don't care, especially a child, it's not going to open up. They have to feel comfortable talking to that person. But when is a teacher supposed to have time for all this? I know that's tough too. But like I said, I mean, doing a check-in, I like to do a check-in with the students. How's everyone doing? Or, you know, and I've always told my students, if you can message me, things like that, there's ways. You just got to be creative about it and find what works for you. But with all the workload, I'm sure teachers that'll listen will be like, well, how does she have time? It's not easy, but like I said, doing the check-in and I do a lot of observation. I'm constantly watching my students. I'm constantly watching their actions. Like I said, that's how I knew about that one student. I saw it immediately. So that's, again, getting to know your students is going to be one of the key ways. 
And also it's not about the grade so much about the relationship is really what's going to make an impact in their lives. And I think it's slowly changing the world. Oh, maybe not. I don't know. I feel like some schools are highlighting it and some are not, but really like see them as a human. And if they fail math, that's okay. But if they're a good human and you have a connection with them. So can you imagine being a teacher that's known that they save lives because they connect, not because they made them understand physics better and they got a hundred on their test and they, they wrote a phenomenal paper, but how about because you taught them how to be a kind person and how to own their feelings and how to communicate better and how to be empathetic? How about that? Oh, I agree. I had a former student that I taught in sixth grade and I know the student, I don't think the student will listen to the podcast, but I also know the student wouldn't mind me sharing but I remember in sixth grade, point blank, just a hot mess in the sense of organization. His book bag would just be overflowing with papers. And I'd be like, you got to get that organized. And just as a sixth grader, kind of lost. And then he left and then he came back in eighth grade. And I had the student again and still kind of, you know, I had to work with him. And, you know, I kept telling him, you could do this. It's going to be okay. Blah, blah, blah. Went on to high school. Next thing I know, I get a message from this student through Instagram. It was teacher appreciation, this long message just thanking me for never giving up on him. I have the chills. And then he told me, because of you, you kept telling me I could do the Marines. He said, I did it. He graduated. He ended up coming, I think a week later, came up to school in his Marine Corps uniform to see me. And I actually got a picture with him. And my mom was so cute because my dad, remember, was a captain in the Marine Corps. And my brother was a Marine. And she took that picture and she put it on a Yankee candle. But he just, he says, I just couldn't thank you enough because it was your encouragement and never, and just telling me I can do it. He was, remember, I couldn't even run the lab. And now I'm running five miles. I was so happy. Oh, my God. And you know what? That is phenomenal. What a powerful story. And you know what? I think as adults, I could look back and I'll say, I'll tell you the teachers that I was mortified because of them. And I'll never forget what words they said to embarrass me, to put me down, to shame me. I'll remember them, but not for the good. And I'll remember those that empowered me, just like you said now. If you're putting in so much effort, what would you want to be remembered as? Really? Honestly, just a caring and funny teacher, because I agree with you 100%. These kids need school. They need to learn math. Yes, they need to learn English and things like that. But like you said, I just want them to remember me like with this student. You know, I just had lunch with another student. He's in Auburn University. Just a long conversation. And he just kept saying the same thing. You know, I never forget about you. And he goes, you always encourage me. And now he's going for his master's. He's got a full ride for his master's. And he's going to take his accountant exam and be an accountant. And so the only thing I told him was, then you have to do my taxes. But yes, it just. What could be more rewarding than that as a teacher that works so hard? Teachers, I believe, and I'm going to really say this for everyone's listening. I don't care. Teachers are the heart, maybe nurses a little bit, but teachers have the hardest job. I'm going to say this flat out. I'm sorry. I believe that they have the hardest job on the planet. I'll tell you why. They have a ton of kids that they need to attend to. 
I have five children. I'm, I have a hard time giving them attention. You know, I have like all at once. I have a very hard time. Imagine 20, 30, 40 in a class. Like how the heck are you supposed to, to keep them all interested, to keep them on track, to meet their needs, to be able to teach them on each one on their own level is like unbelievable. And I'm going to say this straight out. I believe that they're most underappreciated staff member. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. And my father, bless his heart, taught us that we must write a thank you card to every teacher and specifically what they changed in my life when growing up or when in my children's life. Like our biggest pride is to send the letters that we wrote them to my father to see like that you trained us right. You know, we, this is like calling my Abba. Abba, you trained us right. Yeah. My mother used to be, she's a phenomenal writer. And so she would help with the English and my mother is a natural gratitude giver, you know, but my father was a teacher himself. So he knew what it's like to get that appreciation and what it meant. And he always taught me, send a copy to the principal right? And they really work so, so hard. So what I'm saying is you work so hard as it is, make a difference, like do the extra little thing to make a difference. And if they fail, they fail. It's not going to be your fault. It's not because you're a bad teacher. It's not. But if you're showing up, you're doing the work, make sure that they have this connection with you and you can make a difference in their life forever. How rewarding is that? Oh, it's great. And that's what I've always said to it is that, yes, I want them to learn from me as far as my subject matter, but when they leave my classroom or even, like I said, leave middle school, like with this former student, I want them to remember more how I made them feel. You know, if they remember the five fitness components, great. If not, I don't care. I just want them to remember how I made them feel. That's more important to me. And you know what I was thinking as you're speaking, I was thinking if there's an English teacher, maybe have like a once a month check-in, like write something private. This way they don't have to speak to you in literature, write something that you want the teacher to know that you don't think anybody knows about you. And it's going to stay between me and you and our little secret. And it can open a dialogue. Be creative. I know a journal's good. It was funny you say that because I just did a professional development of this champs and it's about like for classroom management and stuff. And it was really good. And one of the little things was what I would like my teacher to know about me. And like you said, it, it just can stay between, you know, and even with the journals, they don't necessarily, teacher doesn't necessarily have to read them. Just like giving them an outlet to if they're having a bad day or something like that, be able to express their feelings. I think in a positive way, because writing to me is always positive and I'm not a good writer. But when I journal or even just take notes and stuff and let my feelings out, it's, you know, I, I wrote a poem the other day and she is a good writer, by the way, don't believe her. She writes a blog and she's a phenomenal writer, phenomenal, but that's okay. But anyways, I think that's a great way just to help with the mental health is, you know, write a story. I believe for me personally to help my anxiety is writing's awesome for me. Listening to music. That's the number one thing I can stress for people, especially the young kids, or I shouldn't call them kids, young adults. They need to find healthy coping skills. They really do. 
and find stuff that's going to help them as far as relaxing or like I said, getting their feelings out if they don't feel comfortable talking to somebody. Especially with us all being inside now, not being able to see their friends. Like we said, socialization for these young adults is very important to some of them. And sports, think about sports was taken away from them. All these outlets that were really a positive thing for them to do during the day when they felt stressed, go go play basketball or get together, whatever it is, run, and they don't have that group gathering or going to a game together or going to a movie together. They don't have that. That's decompressing that they used to do. But in a way, like, I wonder if the bullying will be less. We spoke about this. Remember, we spoke about it in our conversation. And I was shocked when you told me about the bullying that goes on. Like, I was really shocked. And you were saying that the social media is such a big, big factor in mental illness. Oh, social media is just powerful for anybody. It's not even just the young adults, even adults. But yeah, social media, especially with, I feel in middle school and stuff is a powerful tool that can really affect a child. And it's a shame because that's not the purpose of social media. To me, social media is about like what you and I do about getting a topic out and turning into a positive or getting an outlet out for people to get help. Or why can't we just share photos? You know, a lot of people use filters and stuff. And I know with these young adults, they may not want to admit it, but they want to get so many likes. You know, they want that person to like their picture. Why did I get this many likes? And I feel like social media has really taken over possibly some of their life. And I can speak for experience with just like when I talk to my students, they'll, they'll admit that they've, they're huge on social media. You know, they do their Snapchat, you know, and they're always like, well, it's so much fun. And, you know, people say stuff and, and I will say, well, then did you say something back? Like tell them to stop. Cause I think they're afraid to say anything back. Cause if they do, then you know, that person or people won't like them. Right. Do you talk about how to show up on social media as a teacher? Do you tell them that it's powerful to be positive versus negative? No bullying. Is there conversation about it? Oh yeah. I do a thing on social media. And like I said, we have that conversation of what, just like I'll take it back as I had a discussion this year, I say to the kids, I said, okay, so you're telling me that you want to be with the popular group. And I tell them, I say, can someone give me the definition of what popular is? I said, because that I don't understand. I said, because a lot of the popular kids are the ones that are being mean, isolating other kids for whether it be, no, you can't be on my team. No, you can't sit here, but you want to follow the popular group. Oh my God. Does that really go on? Oh yeah. You can't be on my team. You can't sit here. To their face? Oh my, what age? It happens in middle school. I'm sure it happens in elementary. To their face? Yes. So we have that conversation and I, you know, I could see kind of like I would call the little, the little wheels in their head spinning. And I tell them, I say, so you want to be with that popular group, huh? And then we open the discussion about social media. And then I tell them how, you know, what influences social media? How can you use it for a positive? What are the negatives? And they are very 
That's one thing I must say about middle school. They're very brutal as far as honesty. They'll just tell you. They don't hold back when it comes to that, you know, that type of discussion. And so I just use it as a learning tool for them, hoping for them to see, you know, being popular is not about being mean. You know, why don't you be popular in a positive way? Are you the one that told me the story about the bus driver on a school trip? I don't think so. I think, wait, I don't remember it, but it was such a great story how they did something to the bus driver and you called them on that and you said they were laughing about something. I don't remember the story. And you said, you think that was cool? Why didn't you stand up for them? And you took one of the bullies off the bus. It wasn't you. I think it was you. No, it wasn't me. No, no. It wasn't you? Okay. But it was something to the effect of a teacher like you that they did something to the school bus driver and all the kids were laughing. And the one that started it, the bully, everybody wanted to like high five. And the teacher was like, you supported that? You supported? Instead of standing up for the right thing, for not throwing something at the bus driver? And they, first of all, the kid got expelled. And second of all, they did a whole essay how that was, how following the leader that is abusive is loserish. Like what you were saying, the popular, just because they're popular doesn't mean that it's cool to follow them. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we, you know, you and I had talked about social media as far as just their mental health. And, you know, my age that I teach middle school, I mean, they, especially I would say sixth grade is really trying to find who they are. Self-image is such a powerful thing to them at that age. And that's where I sometimes have an issue with social media when it's not used in a positive way. Now, not all social media is going to be positive. I'm well aware that, like, you should still be able to share, unfortunately, sad news, like if there's a passing of a relative or something like that. But to put people down on social media, and that's what happens. And again, these kids are young, they're impressionable, especially, like I said, sixth grade is trying to build their self image. It could really affect them mentally. And I have seen it happen and it just breaks my heart. And is there anything to do about it? Or there's like, we're feeding our children with poison and we're like, we're saying, here's the poison. But is there a way to give them tools? Because the world is full of poison. You'll go to the workforce, they'll be bullying there. You'll be in relationships, they'll be bullying there. Is it about giving them boundaries where not to have the bullying? Or is it to give them tools how to cope with bullying? It's definitely giving them tools of how to cope. Because you can't protect them in life. Exactly. Like you said, it happens with adults. But I personally think some of our young adults don't have the right coping tools because I feel they haven't learned them. And that's where I like to try to teach in that mental health unit. Hey, you know, you might fail something, but it's not the end of the world. You've got to use tools, you know, to say, yeah, it's going to hurt. You know, if you're in a relationship, the person breaks up with you, it's going to hurt. But we really, and this again, I go back to parents because I believe it should start from home. Parents need to really start teaching their kids the right coping tools, positive coping tools. One big thing with the mental health lesson that I do, the biggest thing I want my students to get out of that is the number one important thing is that it's okay to ask for help. 
And I've actually made them say it in class. No shame, no stigma, no. I tell them, I say, what is it okay to do? Ask for help. I'm like, exactly. Always. And do they know what it means? Did you give them resources? Say like, you come to speak to me, you speak to your parents, you speak to the school guidance counselor. Yeah. Yes. And I actually had, which you had Ann Moss Rogers on, she actually invited her to come. And then I actually invited, cause I'm big with NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And I had the executive director from Richmond, Virginia. So from central Virginia, Mr. Richardson come to class while I was doing that lesson. And it was great because he was talking to the students, like asking them, well, what did you learn about depression? And these kids were just, and the conversations and Ann Moss can back me up. It was amazing just to see them even open with two strangers because I think they really did get a lot out of that lesson. And it takes one to open up for everybody else to feel safe to share. Yes. It takes that one brave kid to say, you know what? I have a suicidal thoughts. I suffer with depression. I have an eating disorder. They claim that struggle and they see that they really don't get shamed for it. And then they give others permission to speak up. Right. And I'm glad you brought up the eating disorder too, because I want them to understand too, when you say mental illness or now they say mental conditions, one thing I want them to understand isn't always the most common ones that people talk about. Depression, bipolar, schizophrenic, things like that. You, One of the mental disorders is eating disorder. Let's talk about anxiety. You know, sometimes I feel like that gets kind of pushed under the rug because, or like, again, for example, the social phobia that exists, you know, so I wanted to branch open and one of the topics that they could choose from was phobia. And one group found a phobia that was literally terrified of ladybugs because I have a phobia of spiders and snakes. So they, again, my whole point of that lesson was to, number one, tell them it's okay to ask for help, but more so broaden their spectrum of not just hearing about depression, bipolar. I want them to understand that there's other mental health conditions out there that they could possibly face or have to deal with later on. Yeah. One of the things that you shared with me, which I was a little bit shocked was that when a teacher does find out that there's a struggle with a child and let's say the child feels safe to share with the teacher because this teacher's super kind and super aware like you, there are angels in every school. And then you go to the parents and they say, oh, they deny it. Oh, no, they're fine. Oh, they're just looking for attention. Oh, ignore them. There's nothing going on. And then you're like stuck as a teacher, like, oh no, how do we help this child if the parents are not willing to accept that this child is struggling. What do we do? Yeah. And you know, that again, really am a firm believer of parents need to educate themselves on mental health as much. And there's so many resources out there big in promoting the NAMI because NAMI in every state is just fantastic because it has the free resources and things. And again, I feel Parents need to get involved with their kids' lives as far as, like when I was growing up, my parents, we didn't have the best of things, 
But like, for example, the phone, if the parents are paying the bill, then they should be able to look at their child's phone and the child can't say no. I mean, the child could say no, but what I'm saying is the parents should be looking at things, looking at their phones. And I know it might be well takes away from their privacy and I get that, but have again, boils down to having that conversation. And if, you know, when I sat down and told my parents that night that either I get help or I will not make it. And that was after I had my suicide attempt that they didn't know about. They didn't bat an eye. We were packing a bag and going to the emergency room. And that's my biggest thing is I want parents to understand that talk to your child because if they open up, it's going to be scary. And my parents were terrified, but please listen to what your child is saying. Don't say, oh, they're just faking it, or that's just how they overreact, things like that, because that's not going to help your child. Your child's going to probably not feel comfortable talking to you again about any of those feelings. Why do you think parents say that? I think it's just fear. And like I said, it's hard for me to say it because I don't have children, but I'm going off what my parents said, and that's what they said, because they were scared. and they weren't educated. They didn't know anything really about any mental health conditions, but they said the biggest thing was fear. They were just scared. And they also don't, I think parents don't know what to do with the information. So now what? Do we go to a therapist? Do we need to put on medication? Are they crazy? Do we have to go to the psych ward? Usually it's something so simple that can be really resolved, even with the conversation or awareness a school counselor, like it doesn't have to be spending thousands and thousands of dollars on therapy. I believe that it gets to that when we kick the can down the road and we're not aware, and then it could be an eating disorder from pushing something off. And then it's really hard to get them back off of that eating disorder. And then sometimes they need facilities and that's sometimes what they need. And sometimes they need a psych ward and that's okay. And that's okay. You know how many people say to me, the psych ward saved my life. Well, it saved my life too, the second time it did. And, you know, with the counselors, the school counselors, I mean, props to them. I have phenomenal school counselors. And back when I was going to school, school counselors were good for, and it's not no offense to them because, again, we've come a long way, but they were good for telling me, okay, this college should work, your grades are this. But now counselors... They are. They're almost like mini, not psychiatrists, but mini psychologists. And they are fabulous. And I know mine at my school, they love having these conversations with these kids. You know, like if I'm put in a situation, which has happened, where two kids are not getting along, and then now I notice the issue is just getting worse, I go to the grade level counselor. And I let the counselor know, and I'm like, hey, so-and-so are not getting along. Can you talk to them and figure out, is there an underlying problem? And they're always like, sure, no problem. And then they will tell me that they called them in, and this is what happened. And so I have to give props to those counselors out there that do work in schools, because like I said, they truly can be lifesavers just as much. And that's where I want students to, and young adults feel Go see the counselor at your school. 
because they're also going to have a bunch of valuable resources that they can connect the kids to and the parents to. Tammy, I want you to talk to the parents for a second that are listening, that are really struggling with fear and stigma, and they don't want to accept the fact they're old school. Mental illness is taboo. We don't talk about it. It's not in our family. If we do, we're going to be the strange ones. Can you talk to them and give them a sense of safety that they will never do something wrong by looking into some treatment or or therapy or even speaking to the school counselor about mental illness and breaking that stigma? Because sometimes teachers speak to the parents, the kid speaks to the parents, and the parents ignores. What can you say to them? I can say to the parents, speaking personally, they need to be brave themselves. They need to not be afraid, number one. If they have no idea where to go, then they need to look for help. You know, call your family doctor. But there is, should be no shame. Here, their child is coming to them scared to probably scared to death themselves. And here now they're coming to them and saying, let's say they're having suicidal thoughts. That takes guts for someone to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm not feeling like I want to live. So the parents need to, like I said, be brave themselves and just find the help that their child needs and know that it's okay. There should be no shame in it at all because they're helping their child. And I know my parents, there are five of us, from my understanding, parents will do anything for their children. So parents, if you are willing to help your child, then you want to help that child take away that pain. And I hate to say this, and I don't mean this in a bad way. A hug and a kiss is not going to do it sometimes. If there's something deep, like inside of me, a lot of it was, I had to be perfect. And I had a chemical imbalance. My parents could have kissed me all day long and hugged me all day long. It wouldn't have helped me because of the chemical imbalance. So I know they love their kids. And sometimes showing your kids love is taking that first step with that child. And sometimes it means that the the parent needs to go to therapy to accept it and to know how to deal with it. You know how many parents I speak to that say that they went into therapy because they didn't understand it and they realized that so much of their parenting was wrong for so many years and now they have to work through it on their own. So the kid is in therapy and the parent, that's bravery. That's, to me, that is the epitome of a devoted parent. To not live in that stigma, shame, oh, I'm the perfect parent. I'll figure it out. We don't need it. No, that is the five golden star parent. When you put yourself into therapy, when you see it, not everybody needs it, but sometimes when you're fighting it, go figure out why you're fighting it. Go figure out why you don't want to see that your child is suffering. Put yourself into therapy. Maybe you need marriage counseling. Maybe you need family therapy. Oh, I agree. But don't be afraid of it. And NAMI is big. Mommy has family to family classes. So they have where parents or relatives in general get together 
and they help each other out with coping. Like, how do I handle if my child has severe anxiety? Or let's say my child's managing coping with depression. You're right. There's support out there for parents alone, but they have to take the first step. And I always, I don't want to compare to a drug addict, but anybody that's dealing with any type of addiction, I'm sure the first thing they'll tell you, the hardest step is the first one. And that you're right, accept and accepting that you probably are going to need help. I don't know why that's so scary for people. I mean, it was for me too. And I think it boiled down to the fear of my reputation that I had established because I am such a strong person. And I felt like if I said, oh my goodness, I don't want to live anymore. I'm crying all the time. That was a sign of weakness. And then I didn't want people to look at me as being weak because I wanted to keep my self-image and my reputation. But there is no shame in asking for help whatsoever. And I want the parents to know that. And I especially want these young adults and any adult, but we're talking about the youth now. I want them to understand there is no shame at all for getting help or asking for help. Agreed. And I want to end with saying to any child that owns their story and asks for help, they're a warrior. They're really the strongest humans because not only do they have to fight the fight of their thoughts, their emotions, constantly showing up in the world and fighting mental illness is one of the most exhausting things to do. It's constant. So first of all, you're strong, you're a hero, you're choosing to live the best life by listening to yourself. You're not selfish. You're awesome. And I want to just say that if kids do come to you as a parent or as a teacher, give them the biggest feeling of thank you for sharing. Give them that big feeling of kudos to you for doing this. I'm so sorry. No shaming. No doubting because you can kill that kid by doing that. And they may never speak about it again. And for the rest of their lives, they're walking around thinking that they're broken and they will never be able to get fixed and find what the path to healing is because you're rejecting them coming and asking for help. Tammy, I want to ask you, the NAMI, is it a free resource? Yeah, so every state, I believe, has a NAMI affiliate. And like I said, they have resources. You can become a member that's on the website of the cost for a member, but NAMI just offers so many free classes. The, like I said, the popular one is the family to family, but it is a class. So you do have to go, but now that everything's virtual, then, but they have a youth group, I believe as well. So the best thing is to look up NAMI and then get a hold of the person that runs the NAMI organization in their state. And that person will be able to direct them to whatever resources they need. But I agree with what you said about them being a warrior. And that goes for the warrior for the parents, because again, it's, it's scary. Just speaking for personal, like what my parents said, it was scary, but I'm telling you, like the guy that, and I'm bad with history because I'm not a history teacher, but the one that went on the moon, he said it was, you know, take that first leap, take that first step. 
And I'm telling you, it gets easier after that first step. It really does. Yeah. And you know what I was just going to wrap up with that our sponsor is BetterHelp. It's an online platform for therapy, which is phenomenal for youth because they are all digital. They're used to saying like the old school, like me and you probably like seeing people in person. Like I do it sometimes, but like, I really like the in-person, but the youth for them, it's comfortable that they could sit in their room after school and just dial somebody on their computer and connect to their therapist. They don't have to have that shame of, oh, who am I going to meet in the waiting room? Or I don't want to leave that laziness. I don't want to get up. I'm tired. You could be so depressed and you can see your therapist from your bedroom. So there's so many online platforms for support groups, for therapy. So tap into those resources. And yeah, I want to share one resource that I learned. I did this NamiCon 2020 and it's NAMI has this like convention but since everything's virtual, I was able to go virtually. And there were these two, I think it was a brother and sister, and I can't remember what state, but they're teenagers and they made this new app. I think I mentioned it to you. It's called Not Okay app, free. And anybody can use it. And basically what you do is you find five people that you would want to be basically kind of like your lifeline. Now they did suggest that you get permission because some people might not feel comfortable being that person, but you find five people and they accept, you put it in there and then the not okay app sends them a message and they accept it. And basically what you do is it's not for a serious crisis. Like if you're having any type of suicide thoughts, this is not to be used. You call 911 or they're called the hotline but this is for like, let's say I'm having a rough day and I use you as one of my lifelines. All I have to do is send a text and it goes to all five of you. And then you're bombarded with five texts back. Are you okay? Okay. You want to chat? You want to chat? Well, that's what, yeah. And they said, it's just, Hey, having kind of a rough day. And then it'll say, you know, it'll say, Tammy's having a rough day. Do you want to help her or not help, but like send her something. And so basically, cause if some youth feel uncomfortable face-to-face, this app is awesome. I mean, bravo to these two that developed it. And it is, it's free. And like I said, then you respond and then it's a good way for you to check in with that person. I think it's a great app. So you select five people from your Rolodex, from people that you know, not strangers. Exactly. It has to be, you know, but like they said, they suggested you get permission Because this way the person knows if they're getting a text from this not okay, you know, and I shared it with my administrator, my principal, I told him about it because I told him it would be great for the guidance counselors to know about it. So if a student comes in, they can kind of let their parents know, even let the child know about this app. Brilliant. Brilliant. I love that you shared this with me because it's such an important, and sometimes we don't know who to reach out this way when we set it up when we're in a good place that when we're not it's all there and we could just text one thing and then it's already built in that I don't have to think who do I feel safe reaching out to and they know and you have an approval from these people to be your support and it's easy because so many times it's a struggle who should I say to what should I say maybe they don't want to talk to me 
maybe they don't want to hear from me, but this way there's like this, it's a network, it's set up and all I have to do is text. And I, Tammy, I would say if somebody does have a suicidal thought, sometimes they don't want to call 911. Maybe it is good to put it on there. And then that, they're like, I'm having suicidal thoughts. And then they'll come to the rescue right away. Because one of the things that Ann Moss shared with me was usually they share it with people in order to be stopped and have a conversation. Oh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, this app and it's free. And like you said, I mean, what are they doing the best that young adults like to do? Text. So it's not like they have to call the person up and actually physically talk. They can just text. But no, you're right. If, if they are having even suicidal thoughts, then send it. You know, because then that person could maybe reach out to. Because sometimes people with suicidal thoughts are afraid to reach out to 911 because they don't want to go to the psych ward. And sometimes they can go to their therapist and work it out and see if they have to. So then they don't reach out to anyone. And then they're like, it might be too late. Right. Wow, Tammy, this was fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. And you really, I think we really gave tools to teachers and parents and to the teens to understand that there's no shame in sharing. There's no shame in accepting and understanding that a child is suffering. And really the teacher and parents are frontliners and you have to have your radars on and you can save a child and get that letter 10, 15 years down the line that something that you did so kind by seeing their pain, by reaching out, by, by noticing something off that will change your life forever. What could be more rewarding than that? Oh, I agree. And, you know, I just want to say good luck to all those teachers out there. We are in definitely a trying time, but, and, you know, I just want to end also with the teachers. I know some of them might be listening and being like, I don't feel comfortable, but again, use your resources at your school. I'm going to go back to the guidance counselors because that's what they're there for. And some guidance counselors like to be brought into situations like that because they have the tools. They, that's what they went to school for and they keep learning about this. So if you don't feel comfortable, like if you notice a kid, like when I did and you're like, I just don't feel like comfortable approaching that child, then at least let the counselor know. So the counselor can make contact with that child. Such a good point. That is such a good point. Thank you for saying that. Or going to the principal and saying, do we know if there's anything going on in their family? Do they, were there another kid that went through this? Do we know if their parents are supportive? Just to get an idea of the family structure can be also helpful, right? Exactly. Oh yeah. And even emailing out to the parent, you know, if it's really that noticeable, I wouldn't have any hesitation saying, I noticed Johnny just was not having a good day. I just wanted to let you know, because that could open also open the dialogue with that parent at home, which is so important to have. Yeah. Tammy, what is a hopeful situation in schools in terms of what is your dream? My dream is to get back in the classroom with the students, to be quite honest with you. That's a Corona dream. Um, but no, with the mental health dream is that... Again, these young adults, and again, I speak with my about my nieces and my nephews. I think about them. It is okay to ask for help. We are all in this together and that you are going to struggle. Life is not a piece of cake. It really isn't. And if it is, then God bless you, seriously. But you are going to have bumps in the road, but that's what makes you a stronger person. I actually would prefer to have bumps in my road than have my road be smooth the whole time because then I don't feel like I learn 
how to handle things. So for the young folks listening, just like you said, be brave and know that life is going to throw you bumps, but with the proper coping skills and just the proper tools, you'll get through it. There'll be bruises, there'll be tears, and that's okay. But in the long run, I'm telling you, you'll walk away a stronger person and you'll be able to handle things better in life. And maybe you could be like Tammy one day, supporting others and giving back to others, knowing what it's like. And there's nothing more healing and rewarding than giving back after knowing how to get through the hurdles. Right, Tammy? Oh, I did not go into teaching for the money. And there are some, you know, some days I was like, why am I doing this? Because, and other teachers will relate because it's another professional development we have to take. Now we got to add this onto our plate. But when I get students like that one that became a Marine, and now the one that's going to Auburn, and I just said goodbye to another former student of mine that's going to James Madison, and they come back and they are just smiling and they give you that big hug and say, thank you. And, or even share a funny memory. That's what makes teaching worth it. I don't care about the money at that point. I really don't knowing that I made an impression or even just gave that kid love for three years that I had that child in middle school that melts my heart. Like there's no tomorrow. So you could take your money. Not really. Cause I need it, but I'm just saying it's not about the money for me for teaching. It really, it's about relationships and relationships with parents that I make as well. And I do, like I told you in the past, I do have parents that will reach out to me and say, well, what can I do to help my child? I'm noticing this. And, you know, it's a great feeling that I can actually turn a negative. And now I feel like sometimes like a hero being able to help Anytime I can help a child or even a parent, it just makes me warm inside. It really does. And gives you energy to continue and to do the next day, right? Yes. Oh, definitely. So guys, if you're a parent, remember to thank your teachers and remember to have conversations with your children and with the teachers like a triangle. Like let's have these conversations going more and more between everyone. Let's bring up the topics. Let's break the stigma, break the shame, make it okay, make it safe. Let's create a better environment for teens. If you're listening to this and you know someone that's struggling, either a parent or a child or a teacher, share this episode. You might give them tools and you might save lives. Thank you for listening. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Thank you.